Good morning. Happy New Year. Wow. <laughs> we're starting a new series in the book of Psalms. You just heard me pray. Um, glad that you're here in person. Those joining us online, those who will be in tradition, second service, and in kindred. Uh, if you have a Bible, uh, would you turn to Psalm 18? We're going to have some ushers coming down the aisles, and if you need one, slip a hand up. Uh, they'll get one in your hand, Psalm 18. Or you can scan the QR code and that will take you there as well. Someone already asked me this morning, uh, I read through Psalm 18 in preparation for this morning's service. Um, are you gonna preach through the entire chapter of Psalm 18? And the answer to that is if, if that was you or someone else who's kind of looked ahead, uh, the answer is no, but I will pull some truths out of it. So um, sit at ease, yeah. Last summer I preached a series called True or False. And we wrestled with some, some really uh, life questions. And we tried to answer, is it true or is it false? All people go to heaven was one of them. True or false? Well, the answer is false. Only those who know Jesus and have a personal relationship with him. But let me, let me test it again. And this is a quote from A.W. Tozer. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I just wanna make it easy on you. It's true. Because if we don't start with what we know to be true about God, we must start with someone or something that we are anchoring our lives to as truth. As we begin this morning, let, let's try it. Let's try and just pause for a moment and think about God. What comes to your mind first? So just in just a 30 seconds of silence here, what comes to your mind first when you think about God? And then we wrestle with the question that follows up. How is that the most important thing about you? What you think about God will affect whether you live a God-reliant or a self-reliant life. What you think about God will determine how you see and how you experience this life. Where you will put your trust in God or in man. What you think about God will affect your level of gratitude and generosity. What you think about God will affect your ability to love and to forgive. Whether you control your life or whether God's in control. Whether you'll extend grace and mercy and compassion and care. For the next few weeks, we'll be looking at a handful of psalms that I believe will, will broaden our view of who God is and it will narrow our view of life. The book of Psalms is a collection of 150 Hebrew songs and poems and prayers from all different periods during Israel's history. While not all the Psalms are thought to be connected directly to David, because that's usually who we think of when we think of Psalms, but 73 of them are directly connected to him. And David was known as a poet who happened to play the harp. So many of other Psalms are written by various authors. 49 of them, or about a third of them, are anonymous, actually. There's five primary categories when we think of Psalms, with others that are kind of mixed throughout. There's Psalms of praise. There's Psalms of lament that express sadness or complaining about just how hard life is. 
There's royal psalms written for the presence of a king. There's thanksgiving psalms that reflect the heart of both individuals and a community. There's wisdom psalms that reveal God's guidance in our lives. At some point in Israel's history, the book of Psalms, even though it was first used as a songbook or as a hymnal in the tabernacle, the temple, later became just this collection of Psalms and, and no longer was a hymnal, so to speak. One other thing to note, many of the Psalms reveal and express the raw emotions and feelings of the author. You and I, might be able to identify. Themes like fear and doubt and tragedy, as well as triumph and joy and hope. Psalm 18 is one of the longest Psalms. And again, there's no way that I can get through it all this morning. And maybe you could take some time this week and just read through that chapter, Psalm 18. But this morning I'll pull out some key truths and some takeaways. I wanna read the title and then we'll jump into scripture here in a couple minutes, but it begins like this. For the director of music, of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord the words of the song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. If you're following along in the outline, the first one is this, God's character will anchor you. So we're gonna talk a lot about God's character this morning. The first thought is God's character will anchor you. We'll be at verses one through three in just a second. Sadly, many live by the motto, and for that matter, we do probably on occasion, right? What comes into our minds when we think about self is the most important thing about me. Our minds are consumed with self, me, myself, and I. What will I do? Where will I go? How will I fix this? If only I could control this, what do I want? Who will I marry? What will make me happy? Did you know that God is way more concerned about your happiness than you could possibly ever be? It's just that happiness to God isn't a feeling. It's a position of life. It's an inner peace. To God, our happiness can, can neither be found nor sustained with the things of this world. He knows that the source of our happiness is him. He's not behind door number one. He's not behind door number two. He's not behind door number three. He's behind all three of them. Self-centeredness is, de is defined as immoderate concern with one's own interest and well-being, self-love or egotism. So what does the Bible say about self-centeredness? Romans 8.8 8 says this, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Those who are always thinking about self, it's pretty darn impossible to please God when our drug of choice is self and the things of this world. Sure, this world can get you high, but it's incapable of keeping you high. And if you haven't noticed, the fix that you get from the world is shorter and shorter, less and less. So David has taken us somewhere, and we have to start where David starts. Way before he gets into the nitty gritty of life, he begins with his full attention on, on the giver of life. Rather than starting with what this life is, he starts with 
who God is. He doesn't begin with a a courtesy, I love you, Lord, now about my life. Or God, you sure are my strength, now about my happiness. We have to follow the breadcrumbs. And what we're about to see is not a polite acknowledgement of God, it's a full-on revealing of God's character based on who God says he is and David's experience of who God is. David was saying what God says to be true, I have found to be true. So he opens with this declaration of who God is. And he's just piling on name upon name. But these aren't just any names. Every one of these names had a story behind them, an experience behind them. And I bet they do for us as well. Here we go. Verse 1. He starts with this. I love you, Lord, my strength. God never gets tired. So David was free to be weak. Think about that in your own life. God never gets tired. So Andy is free to be weak. This particular Psalm was written after God had placed him as the king of Israel, a position of authority and rule that God had had promised him sometime earlier. The promise of God made to David had happened about 15 years before this Psalm was written. And I wonder, what were those 15 years like? Were they a walk in the park with God? Or were they 15 years of agony and distress? It was after all those years of agony and distress, David said this, I love you, Lord, my strength. So David, looking back on those 15 years leading up to him taking the throne, is able to say, I love you, Lord, my strength. David's experience of life, even as difficult and as weighty as it might have been, didn't harden his heart towards God. God, you are my strength. Only you have empowered me to survive against my enemies. If I were left on my own, I would have been obliterated. If you were to take the time, uh, if we had it right now or maybe later today or sometime, and you were were to reflect back over your life and and to look back over your life, how long would it take for you to see the hand of God? Last Friday, um, Lori had left in the morning and she was doing a favor or somebody driving over to Jamestown and she called me at noon and I answered the phone um, and she asked this question, where are the hazard lights? That's never a question that you wanna hear. Why? Oh, wait, the hazard lights are, you know, I told her where to turn them on. I said, why? She said, you're not gonna believe what just happened. And I said, tell me. And she said, I was driving on the interstate. You remember Friday, it was icy. Uh, maybe some of you were out, but she's driving on the interstate and uh, all of a sudden, she took, she took the Jeep, and all of a sudden, the Jeep turns completely sideways, and then she corrects and goes the other way. She goes down into the ditch, and then she comes right back on the side of the road. Now, only a Jeep can do that, right? Um, I mean, if you had a Ford, what would happen? I don't know. I don't know. But she told me, even in the phone call, she said, I, as soon as it started to happen, like she had this inner peace because all of a sudden she, she had two little girls with her and an adult in the front seat. And all of a sudden she just starts crying out to God in the midst of this happening. She's crying out to God, God protect us. Thank you, Jesus. 
And then when she come to a stop, she asked the two little girls, how you doing? She's, and they were like, what? Like, but it reminds me of life. Have you ever seen uh, the hanging bar challenge? Maybe you've seen it where um, they have five to 10 people and everybody has to grab a hold of this bar and then the floor drops out. Or maybe you've seen it where they go out over water and you're trying to hang on to this bar and who can hang on the longest can survive. And immediately somebody will drop. I mean, they just, they can't even do it. And then somebody will hang on for five minutes and somebody will hang on for 10 minutes. Maybe somebody will hang on for 30 minutes, but eventually everybody drops because their arms grow tired and their grip grows weak to the point of no longer being able to hang on. We have all tried that challenge in life. Every one of us, no matter how strong we think we are, we've all faced our frailty. When our strength for life is found in self, we hang on for dear life. The only way to know and experience God as your strength is to see your weakness. When our strength is found in God, we let go. Why? Because we're not created with the strength and the stamina to hang on from a bar for the rest of our life. God is our strength. In what ways have you known God to be your strength? Let's just take a second, take 30 seconds again. When you think about that characteristic of God, because that's where David starts, he starts to paint this amazing picture of who God is. I want us to think about the same characteristics. How have you known God to be your strength? Just just ponder that for 30 seconds. He goes on in verse two, the Lord is my rock. God, you are my safety. God, you are my security. You know, the size of a rock is perspective. We might see some landscaping rocks and think, man, that rock is absolutely ginormous. I remember when I was in Israel outside of Jerusalem and I saw these, these rocks that they built the wall with. I'm like, how in the world did they do that? How in the world did they even move those? Absolutely massive. But do you know what the biggest rock in the world is? Mount Augusta in Australia. It stands 2,345 feet above ground, nearly a half mile and covers an area of 18.5 square miles. That's the entire city of West Fargo. But David isn't using the massive Mount Augustus to describe God. When David says, the Lord is my rock, he is talking about the creator of Mount Augustus to whom if he held Mount Augustus in the palm of his hand would be like a pebble. Who or what is your rock? Where are you finding your safety? Where are you finding your security? And he goes on, my fortress and my deliverer. When has God delivered you? David knew he had a place of safety in God. He was safe in his presence, though surrounded by people who lived to make his life miserable. Listen, if you wanna be a follower of Christ, Luke 9.23 tells us this, right? You have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. That's what the scripture says. But if you wanna be a follower of Christ, you can try and hide, but if you wanna be a serious follower of Christ and you you wanna follow Luke 9.23, right? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Look, people will try and make your life miserable because your life will run completely cross grain from our culture. 
He is my, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He knew that he would be rescued from his enemies and more importantly from himself. He goes on, he says, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He knew that the darts, whether from the evil one or from those around him, couldn't pierce him. A stronghold was a place that, that was essentially impenetrable. With a stronghold, you were able to fight off the enemy. Think about God as your shield, your salvation, your stronghold, your place of refuge. Verse three, I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I have been saved from my enemies. Every name that David uses to describe God was a new revelation for David in the way that he was experiencing God. How you see God will determine how you see and experience this life. If God is this big, your life will seem this big. If God is this big, your life will seem this big. How are you seeing God? We're now just seven days into the new year. And so before us, there's 358 days, a whole new arena of the unknown, right? Imagine stepping into this new year with this greater desire to know God, with this greater desire to to want to experience God in your life. What would that look like for you? To see God to deepen your understanding of who God is, to walk with God, to depend on God. What does that look like for you? The Bible teaches us the characteristics of God, but man, when we experience the characteristics of God in our own lives, they become very personal. But here's the thing. The characteristics of God don't become personal from a distant place. They become personal in the valleys. During the dark times, amidst the trials, the pits of depression, the grip of anxiety. It's in those places when the truth of who God is becomes personal. Secondly, God's character will help you make sense of life. Verse four through 29, we're not covering all those verses, but just follow along. After declaring who God is, David goes on to tell the story, his experience of life. And he begins in verse four. The cords of death entangled me, The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. Wow, David freely and openly confesses his circumstances and his experience of life. He didn't hold anything back. He was brutally honest with God. There's something refreshing about that, about the freedom to be honest with God. I tried to imagine how the conversation would go if somebody asked me, hey, Andy, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Better than I deserve, right? How many people say that? Better than I deserve. And it's usually this really short conversation, but that conversation sounds way more accurate. Not, hey, Andy, how are you doing? Well, since you asked, the hangman's noose is choking me. Satan's waves of destruction are drowning me. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. Hell's ropes have cinched me so tight that I can barely move. What do you think would happen? Note to self, don't ask Andy how he's doing again, right? Of course. But even though as we just learned, God's character becomes personal in the hard times of life, often before we get to that place, we allow life as a, as a means to disassociate ourselves from the character of God. And what I mean by that is, as we're going through life and we find ourselves in those valleys or those trials or, or those pits or those grips, 
We begin to disassociate ourselves from God because we retreat and we want to try to figure out life on our own. And we forget all about who God is. For those 15 years prior to David taking the throne, there was a price on his head. He was a hunted man, constantly looking over his shoulder. First Peter 5.8 says, be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Isn't that a great way to enter a new year? Every person in here is being hunted. Satan is good at thinning the population. He has come to distract the unbeliever through the lure of the world. He's hunting the unbeliever. He has come to hunt the believer through deception, through busyness, through pain, through evilness, and any other means that he could possibly think of. Anything to keep our eyes and our minds off of God and who he is and keep our eyes on self. He goes on, verse six. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried out to God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. In the distress of life, I called to the Lord. I cried out to God for help. This is a little bit of a wake-up call here because sometimes when we get into the distress of life, what do we forget to do? pray. We forget to cry out. We neglect to call upon our rock, our shield, our deliverer. But David is reminding us that in our distress, God should be our first distress call. Many Apple watches, I wear an Apple watch, probably many of you do too, but many Apple watches now have what they call fall detection. And it detects if there has been an, an abrupt movement downward. One time I was going up our stairs and I, was, I laid down on our stairs. I didn't fall, I didn't trip and face plant like many of you probably are thinking I did. But I laid down our stairs, our dogs were at the top and there's a gate there and I'm kind of messing with our dogs. I'm just playing with them, I'm hitting the stairs and trying to get them excited. And, and so, but my watch went off, right? Are you okay? Well, that's a loaded question. Are you okay? And you know what happens if you don't answer? In a certain amount of time, it'll automatically call emergency services and it'll message the where's emergency contact. Do you know that when you are in distress, the Holy Spirit kind of acts like an Apple Watch? The Holy Spirit says to us, you're not okay. You cannot handle this on your own. You were never meant to handle this on your own. You will never figure this out. And it's this, it's this, Holy Spirit is just saying, cry out to God. You see, because God doesn't ask if you're okay. He already knows the answer. In verses 7 through 15, David uses some dramatic language to describe God's powerful deliverance. It's a poetic rhythm of describing God's intervention. I encourage you to read it on your own. I want to read verses 16 through 19. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. 
He drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me from, from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster. But the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Listen, you are not only accepted and adopted and redeemed. You are not only loved and sealed and blessed. Listen to this. He delights in you. The last phrase, he rescued me because he delighted in me. Psalm 147.11, God delights in those who reverence him and trust him and put their hope in his unveiling love. God does not delight in our strength, but he delights in us when we acknowledge our weakness and our need for him. Number three, God's character will sustain you. David allowed his view, to, his view of the world to be shaped by who God is rather than what he was or what he would be facing. Verse 30, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. Verse 31, for who God, who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. In this last section, the predominant thought is David attributed every ability and every victory that he had experienced to the Lord. Everything he had and everything he had done was only because of God and he was able to see it. Every ounce of strength he had was from God. The ability to press on and to put one foot in front of the other was only because God was holding him up. And when I wrote that, and I was going over it this morning, I had this visual of, of you know, it's like footprints in the sand kind of, but, but it would be like him behind us and, and he's holding us up as we're going through life. You will encounter many people some who will say it and others who will only think it, who believe God is simply a crutch for those who cannot make it on their own. And the irony is that in many ways, they're absolutely right. Until we see ourselves for who we really are, that we are weak, we cannot see God for who he truly is, that he is our strength that he is perfect and his word is absolutely flawless, that he's a shield for those who take refuge in him. There is no other God, there is no other rock. He strengthens us, he protects us, he guides us, and he sends us back into the world to fight. We're all fighting for something. We fight to be right, we fight to be free, we fight to be seen. David was this mighty warrior who had earthly power and protection at his fingertips. He had everything, yet he depended fully on God for all of his needs. How much more do we need him? A new calendar year is inviting us to do a reset, to know God, to experience God, to see God. When you walk out these doors today, here in just a little bit, you are entering a war zone. Ephesians 6 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
Everything you need to stay in the fight is found in God. Let me leave you with this one thing. It's the quote that I started with. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the book of Psalms and we thank you for the the many, many takeaways and for David's honesty and the revealing of his life. And God, as we enter into this new year with so many days in front of us, Lord, I pray that we would have this great desire to know you in a deeper way, to see you in our lives, to look back and to be able to see your handprints, your fingerprints and your guidance and your strength when you were holding us up and, and you are a rock and a refuge. You are everything. Thank you, God. And I pray, Lord, that for every one of us this morning, that there would be some truth that we would walk out of here this morning with as we reflect back and as we look forward. In Jesus' name.